Well, Merry Christmas. I am so glad you're here and so glad to see your smiling faces. Take your Bible. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 97 this morning. We're in part two of a teaching series over uh, what we call a Christmas carol. And we're studying Psalm 96, Psalm 97, and Psalm, guess what, 98 over the next three weeks. We started in Psalm 96, and each one of these directly correlate to the nativity. And so this morning, we're going to be dealing with what song do we sing? What is the song in your life? And before we get to that, a uh, really cool announcement. As you noticed, uh, probably two weeks ago, we brought in a guy as a candidate to be our next generation pastor. His name was Stephen Crane. And I'm so excited to announce to you guys that after going through relentless interviews, and we offered him a position, and he is accepted, and we have a new next generation pastor in Stephen Crane. Isn't that good? So we are so excited about this. Um, just a couple of things you need to know, because a lot of people are going to be asking questions, and so I believe in giving full transparency almost 99.9% .9 of the time. Um, he will be starting officially January 9th, Sunday, January 9th. However, next Sunday evening, our students will be at their Christmas party at Athens Skate Inn. We've rented out the entire facility. Parents, you're invited as well. We want you to come and participate in that, and he and his family will be at our Christmas party for that. So come and hang out, break a hip, whatever you want to do. Uh, it should be a good time, but we want you to come and meet him and get to know him, and we're really excited about that transition. Our students will then be going on a retreat in Valdosta, Georgia, December 29th and 30th. And he will be there with our students then. His official start day is December 29th at that retreat. However, his first Sunday will be January 9th because there's a bit of a transition there. And so be praying for him and Megan and their son Silas as they make this transition. And there's two things that you can pray for. One, housing. Waycross, Georgia does not have the housing market that we have. And so they will be selling their home and then moving here and buying a home. And you know, we all know how difficult that is right now, right? And so be praying for them as they make that transition that God would provide. The second thing is Megan is going to be looking for a job. And I've reached out to a bunch of you guys in the educational system, and you've been wonderful, and I've been giving them that information, but she is a teacher, and if you are a teacher, you know what it means to like wait until the end of the year before you can really focus on anything else right now. And so uh, they are getting ready to make that transition and look for jobs, so be praying for both of those things. Look up on social media, Stephen Crane, Megan Crane, and Stephen spelled with a P-H, not a V, all right? And get connected with them, and we'll be throwing out more information about how to serve them, how to help them move into their home, how to provide meals for them in the near future. Does that sound good to you guys? I cannot wait. I'm so excited. I don't have to be a student pastor anymore. So uh, I'm really fired up, and my kids are really excited about that as well. Now, turn to your Bible, Psalm chapter 97. So fired up about this. Last week, if you were here, you noticed I was not. We did a pre-recorded sermon. I was on the big screen, and yes, you realize I am just as ugly on the big screen as I am in front of you today, right? The thing is, uh, my wife and I started a church in Hammond, Louisiana, 19 years ago. Uh, the church finally has purchased their first facility. Uh, they asked us to come dedicate the building, and it was amazing and nostalgic time for us. We got to eat seafood that we didn't get, hadn't been able to eat for the last 19 years. There's nothing like 
uh, Gulf of Mexico shrimp, guys. I'm just going to be real with y'all. It's amazing, and I uh, indulged myself. Uh, the second thing is we got to see where our babies were born, went to the hospital, and we drove by it and took pictures of everything. Went to our first house where we brought our babies home. Went to our favorite coffee shop, and even though I've searched high and low for a better coffee shop than that, I have yet to find it, but that's the only thing there that I love more than here. And, um, and so uh, we got to be with that church, and the last night we were there, we were in their new facility. I'm sitting on stage, and they asked me to pray and dedicate the facility, and it was just a beautiful thing to see as a pastor. We don't get to see this much, the fruit of, of, of something you worked so hard at so many years ago. And uh, I only cried four times. Uh, Sarah Beth cried the whole time. Um, so uh, it was an amazing experience. But at the very end, uh, the church came together, and they sang a song in their new facility, and it was the old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Y'all ever heard that before? Great is thy faithfulness, O God, our Father. And it was amazing, and they sang it to the top of their lungs. I tell you that because I want to ask you a question. What is the song you're singing right now? That's my song. Seeing God's faithfulness in the last week in our church, in my life personally, in the church that we started, God's been faithful. But what's your song right now? Christmas does not always bring the greatest songs, even though we love to sing Joy to the World, right? Some of you are going to sing Jingle Bells. My favorite, all-time favorite, is Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. But what's your song right now? Could be a song about busyness, right? Because it is the season to eat too much, be way too busy, and deal with a weird uncle, right? What's your song as it pertains to the chaos? What's your song as it pertains to Christmas? So I want to just, inside your own mind right now, what song you're singing? What we learned last week in Psalm chapter 96, let's go to verse 1. We're in Psalm 97, but I want you to go backwards. Psalm 96, verse 1. The Bible says, sing to the Lord a what? A new song. And we learn what that new song is. It's a song of grace. It's saying you don't have to earn God's love. When you know Jesus, you get it. You don't have to work to get to heaven. When you know Jesus, you go there. That's a beautiful song, is it not? And that relates back to the nativity, to the birth of Christ and saying this, in all the things that we've created that's chaotic, that's messed up, that are hang-ups, that are hardships, here's the reality. That nativity represents something so beautiful and it's this, you don't have to work to get God's love, you get it when you know Jesus. Isn't that good? That's the song. And so whatever your song is this morning, it could be a song about God's faithfulness. It could be a song about you being broke. It could be a song about inflation. It could be a song about marital strife or frustrations or relational haphazards or sickness. It could be a really good song about casseroles. I don't know. At the end of the day, the song and why we sing it is because of God's grace. But we want to transition this morning and deal with that song from the perspective of this. What do we sing? It's one thing to make a melody, but the words are really important too, right? And next week, we're going to talk about how we sing it. This week, we want to talk about what we sing. And so when we turn to Psalm chapter 97, there's a passage of Scripture here we really want to dwell on. And I want you to notice what happens here. Because it starts out in verse 1 very encouraging, and then it gets really depressed. Now, what I want to do, here's my objective this morning. I want to make you feel really horrible, and then you go outside and, pack, and pet an alpaca and feel better. All right? Sound good to everybody? Now, here's the deal. Notice what happens here. It says this. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. 
Let the distant shores rejoice. Starts out great, right? Now let's go to the next verse. Verse 2. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Now let's pause here for a moment because it's important that we understand this. When we, when we deal with that idea of saying there are clouds and thick darkness surrounding God, it really it focuses on the reality that there is a mystery with the Lord that we just don't understand. Agreed? There are some things about God and his plan and his purposes we just don't get and we have to step out on faith. We can apply all the science and theories and knowledge and have all these ideas, but at the end of the day, there are things we just don't get that we have to step out on faith and just trust that God's going to take care of. But more importantly, that idea of thick clouds and darkness point back to when Moses led the people out of Egypt and he was surrounded, or the glory of the God led them by fire at night and by a cloud in the day. And the point is, is this. It was covering or holding them back from experiencing God's holiness. Now, God's holiness means there is a complete separation between sinfulness and perfection. And God is all of that. And for us to encounter it, it means we die. And so the point that he's making here is this. He starts out in verse 1. Our God reigns. Be glad, but understand this. God is powerful. God is big. God is holy, and then we skip down to the next phrase there. His throne, the foundations of it are righteousness and justice, meaning he's perfect and we are not. And in all his ways, there's perfection. You with me on this so far? Now go down to the next verse here, verse 3. Now, this where he is even more depressing. Fire goes out before him and consumes his foes on every side. Now, think through this for a moment. God is perfect. Logic would tell you everything that's a foe of God are things that are imperfect. I count myself in that category. Do you? You, you better. But, and so when we read that, we go to verse 3. I'm a foe of God. Fire consumes me. Merry Christmas. Right? Then we skip to the next verse. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and it trembles. And the mountains melt like wax before the Lord before the Lord of all the earth and then he goes into verse 6 and 7 he says the heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory here's the point all the people see God's glory he see his perfection and you and I do as well you ever looked at a sunset and go wow that's beautiful you ever woke up in the morning and seen the the frost in your yard and it's like that's just amazing you ever seen a newborn baby and think God did that there is something that is revealing through nature and creation that speaks to the glory of God to where Romans 1 tells us we are not without. We, we do not have an excuse to turn to the Lord. And because we don't, verse 7, all who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols, worship him, all you gods. Now, what does this mean? When we use the word idol, we typically, our mind goes straight to a statue of some kind, right? But idols are anything that we elevate above the Lord. Like, there have been times in my life where I've seen sports as an idol. There have been times in my life where I've seen money as an idol. Y'all been there before? I've even used my own children and my wife as idols in my life because I elevate them in importance or in focus above the Lord. 
And what he's saying here is this. God has given us, in verse 6, every opportunity to respond to him, yet we still establish these things that we're trying to draw comfort, happiness, wisdom, clarity, mercy from. You with me on that? We do it all the time. Could be your health, could be your finances, could be your relationships, you name it. And so we skip down a little further, and he goes on, and he says, Now Zion, he hears this, and that's God's people. And it rejoices in the village of Judah, which is a district within Zion, are glad because of your judgments, Lord. Now, that doesn't make sense. God has just said he destroys all of his foes. Imperfection means you're a foe of God. But yet Zion, God's people come out and say, we're glad. How is that? Keep going. For you, Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted, exalted far above all gods. Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light shines on the what? Righteous. Now, this is important. We're going to come back to this in a few moments. So keep this in mind. Light shines on the righteous and joy on the upright in heart and rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. All right. What does this all mean? How does it connect to Christmas? Y'all with me on this? There's two principles that we need to grab hold of first and foremost. The first principle or the first truth that we extract from this passage is in verses 2 through 5, and it's this. God has come to judge us. Now, we don't like that. In fact, the idea of being judged is not something any of us want to focus on. But truth be told, God judges the planet and its people. Do you know the most quoted Bible verse is not John 3.16. It's the verse that says, judge not lest you be what? Nobody likes being judged. But here's the truth. All of us do it, right? You've been judging since you've been in this room this morning. Is it too hot or is it too cold? Why can't they turn it up? Why can't they turn it down? I hope he didn't preach too long. Why is he back on the screen again? We judge all the time. You judge people when you drive down the road? I do it too. And to think that we have a God that judges us does one of two things. It makes us really scared or it makes us really angry, right? It's not the God that we grew up with. But here's the problem. Many of us don't like to think of this idea of God being our judge because, one, we've been judged so much, and two, in our cultural Christianity, we have not dove into the deep end of the pool, spiritually speaking. We've waded around in some stuff. We like some neat verses. But we haven't dove into the deep parts of the Lord and really extracted the truth that he gives us, which is far greater. You see, what we've got to understand from these verses here, go back, notice what happens here in chapter 97. There's a couple things. Verse 2, clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. From that, we get three things. I want you to understand this. Number one, we've got to understand that God has all the authority in the world to judge. Why? Because he's holy. God has all the ability in the world to judge as well. If you skip down a little further, and it says in verse 5, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. And then not only that, God has every right to judge us. Y'all get that, right? We don't like that. We like our own personal rights. Agreed? But boy, we don't like anything that contradicts that. But God has every right to judge us. Why? Go back to verse 2. Notice what happens here. I'm keeping them busy in the booth. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. The foundation of what he does and how he rules is in perfection 
and he has the right to do it, justice. Now, a couple weeks ago, I got to go to traffic court. That is a blessing, is it not? You ever been? Went with one of my kids, uh, unjustifi- just unjustifiably gotten a ticket, and so we decided to go contest it. We were there from 8.30 in the morning to 1 o'clock in the afternoon. That was a joy. I say that with all sarcasm. But what's interesting, if you've ever been in a courtroom, many of you have been there a lot, um, that was, you know, and uh, we walk in, and it's, it's really intimidating, is it not? Because the judge is sitting up there, and all these clerks and all these people and lawyers are milling about. And, and you think that when you go to court for the first time, it's going to be like people's court with Judge Wapner or Judge Judy, right? You're going to walk in, they're going to be up there. No, it's not like that at all. There are about 18,000 conversations going everywhere, right? So we're sitting there, and the judge is up on, the, up on his uh, bench, and he's sitting up there. And, 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 I, and it just hit me in that moment. Dude, we are at his mercy in every way, right? He has the authority because of the law. He has the ability because of the law. And he has the right because of the what? Law. Everything. And you know what? God does too. That judge could throw him the, we, we got it dismissed. I just want to kind of share with that because I know you were worried. <laughs> but, I mean, he has every right to judge us because it's backed up by the law. And he writes down this law in the Old Testament. And he says, you know, in every way, you've messed up. You've messed up. And that leads us to the second thing here. God has come to judge us. That's one. And he finds, number two, humanity guilty. He finds humanity guilty. Go back to verse 6 and 7. Get what it says here. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols worship him and all your gods. We have the opportunity to respond to the Lord, and instead of doing that, we set up these little gods in our lives. We're guilty. I don't like being guilty. In fact, I defend myself quite frequently, don't you? We compromise, we rationalize. But if we, go, if we were to go back to Genesis chapter 3, and we don't have time to do that this morning, but if we were to read verses 1 through 19, if you remember that, Adam and Eve are in the garden, everything is perfect. They go to the, free of good, the tree of uh, good and evil, and uh, Eve picks the fruit off the tree, eats it, and gives it to her husband. Y'all know that whole thing, right? And in the middle of that, they eat of the fruit of the tree, and they realize all of a sudden their eyes are open, and they're seeing good and evil. They're no longer perfect. They've claimed independence from the Lord. And so that evening they heard God walking in the garden and God said, where are you? And they were ashamed. And they said they were naked and ashamed. And God said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the fruit of the tree? Adam, what did you do? And I've told you this a hundred times. Adam said, well, this woman you gave me made me do it. First dirty look in the history of mankind right there. Now, let's draw that out a little further. Because of that one sin, they are guilty of several things. One, insecurity happens. You ever feel insecure? Maybe it's because of comparison. All you got to do to feel insecure is scroll through social media. You're either going to compare yourself or feel very bad about yourself, right? Then it's broken relationships. Can you imagine the fight Adam and Eve had after that moment? They kind of go back home and whatever they lived in. (laughs) It's like, why did you tell God I did that? Oh, you know, that was the whole fight right there. And everything else has happened since then, right? 
Then they have intentions that are bad. If you go on even to their sons, Cain and Abel, Cain killed what? Abel. And the intentions, the obedience, everything filters throughout that moment. And because of that, humanity is completely guilty. I find myself insecure. I find myself anxious. I find myself comparing. I find myself not being obedient. I find my intentions to be sinful at times. Are y'all with me on this or is it just me? Thank you. <laughs> You've been to do that for years, haven't you? <laughs> here's the point, and here's what I want you to get. We're guilty, completely guilty. So how do we handle this? Because the theme of our song, this is what we sing, and this is what I want you to understand. What we sing is this. God is in control. Go back to verse 1. The Lord reigns. Why in the world do I say God is in control when he judges me and says you're completely guilty? That does not make me feel better. That does not sound like a song of grace that we talked about last week. So how do we make these applications? How do we deal with this? How do we understand this? And what do we do? And then more importantly, how does this connect back to Christmas? Because this is that season, right? I want you to go back to verse 1. And I want, you to, I want to show you something here that's just beautiful. We're going to go to verse 1, verse 8, and verse 11. Notice what happens here. The Lord reigns, let the earth be glad. The fact that God is in control is something that should cause gladness. Now, that word glad in the Hebrew text is basically this. You tremble with joy. I once had a dog named PJ. PJ was the first dog I had as an adult, and I was living by myself, so PJ and I had great conversations, you know? She was a Labrador retriever, and I taught her how to retrieve, and we would go out to the local pond in our community, and I'd throw the plastic dummy out on that pond, and I would make PJ just stand there before she could go jump and get it, and she would be so excited, she'd be trembling. Y'all ever seen a dog do that? And jump to go get it, she was having a blast. It's to tremble with gladness because the God is in control. Why do we tremble with gladness? Go to verse 8. Notice what happens here. Zion hears and rejoices in the village of Judah are glad again because of your judgments, O Lord. Here's the deal. Why, are, why does his judgments make us feel happy? Because if he's come to judge and he's found us guilty, that is not good news for us. Agreed? Go down to verse 11. Get this. Light shines on the righteous and joy in the, on the upright in heart. When you know Jesus, you become righteous and his light shines on you, and you are given what? Joy. That's it. It's Christ. And why this is connected to the nativity, why this is given, uh, given to us and said, hey, look at Christmas with this, is because when we look at that baby in the manger, when you're going to go outside, you're going to go out there, and you're going to pet the alpaca, you're going to say, that's a cool miniature cow, look at the baby goat, and you're going to show your children this is going to be great, but there's going to be a fake baby there, and when you look at that, the story is this, that baby Jesus, not that one, but Jesus himself is in control. And because he's in control, his judgments are just. He finds you guilty, but then he says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. You see, the song that we sing is the same song as the angels sang back in Bethlehem so many years ago. Glory to God in the highest, and what? Peace on earth to all mankind. And that means this. When you know Christ, there's peace. And you get to come to him and go back to verse 1. Our God reigns. I'm so glad he reigns over my sin he reigns over my salvation he reigns over my heart that baby was God in the flesh 
and is God today. And so we come to him. The why last week is the new song of grace. The what is God reigns. And I get to follow that. I've seen this picture float around social media in different places in the last week, and I thought it was so prevalent and so pertinent to what we're talking about. And it's a picture, and we'll throw that up on the screen, of Eve with her apple and her sin and Mary with her baby that represents peace, that represents salvation. And that's where I find myself many days. You? That I find myself a broken, messed up, jacked up dude. But thank God for his grace. Thank God that the baby she carried is God of the universe. He says, you're healed, forgiven, and mine. And I give you life. As we finish up this morning, there are two steps of application I think we draw out of this text. Go to verse 10. It says this. Let those who love the Lord, that's you, do two things. Hate evil. That's the first one. That's your first step of application. Hate is not just an emotion, but it's what we do. And when I evaluate my own life, I find myself looking. I got so much evil, so many issues. And for me to grow, I've got to do something here. I need to hate it. And then number two, simply this. Refocus on joy. Refocus on joy. You know, Christmas is the wonderful time of year where we get out, out of kilter and all focused, right? We focus on so many things right now. Man, I've got to get the stocking stuffers, whatever that is. I've got I've to deal with the inflation issues. I've got to buy this gift, and then I've got to deal with that ugh, secret Santa thing. <laughs> you got all that stuff. But here's the deal. What Psalm 97 is calling us to is to refocus on the real thing. And that's Jesus. And this is just not a lesson for Christmas. This is a lesson for life. We find our hope in him, and that becomes our song. Where we focus on the things that really matter, killing the little idols in our life. 18 years old, getting ready to move to Valdosta, Georgia to go to college, and I had driven a 1984 metallic blue Chevy Cavalier without air conditioning and the roof falling in. It was awesome. Uh, you know, I'd turned the radio up so much that I'd blown out the speaker, so everything cracked. If you got it, y'all know what I'm talking about here. I mean, we, had, we didn't, I didn't have enough to, you know, buy anything nice, so I'd turn it up a little bit, it'd crack a little bit more, and I'd do that. But then I'd turn up the bass really loud, and it'd thump, 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 and everybody, and then like, <laughs> it's really what it sounded like. Um, and so uh, I was getting ready to move to Valdosta, Georgia, and I wanted more than anything else, like a new car. And I didn't have a job, but I felt like because I had parents that I was entitled for them to buy me a new car, right? Did y'all ever grow up thinking that way? Because, man, I, I mean, look, for the last two years, Mom and Dad, I've suffered. I've suffered in this blue 1984 Chevy Cavalier without air conditioning in July in Georgia. And what does that mean? I was lucky I didn't die from spontaneous combustion. Are you with me on this? 
So, Mom, Dad, I'm driving, I'm leaving, I'm going to move four and a half, five hours away. I need a dependable car. It's not that I want it, Mom and Dad. I need a dependable car. Do you want your child to come back home? And I knew the answer to that, but, you know, here's the deal. I was playing in their emotions. And so I thought, man, Christmas is coming. I'm moving about Austin January 6th or 7th, and I'm going to get a new car. That's exactly, I've been asked all I wanted. Mom, Dad, don't give me anything else. I want a new car. I deserve it. So, Christmas Eve dinner, I'm sitting at my grandma's house. My great-grandmother, my grandmother, my siblings, my parents. We're sitting around with all the casseroles and all the dishes, having a wonderful time. And I'm like, hey, I'm really looking forward to tomorrow morning for Christmas. And my mama looked at me and said, don't look forward to it too much. And I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And I think I looked, I think I popped off and said, man, you know I'm going to Valdosta. You know that's four hours away. You know I don't need to break down. Tough. Now, I didn't smart off to my parents. I want you to understand that. But I was the biggest jerk that you could possibly be. I went back and found the nine-year-old Chip, and I began to pout. And I began to stew, and I began to not say anything, and my body language was off. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You've done this before. Some of y'all still do this at 56 years old, all right? And I sat there and went, I mean, I just ruined Christmas Eve with my grandmothers, all right? It was terrible. Nick, I went home, we had our Christmas traditions that morning, and, and, and I was there, and I walked in, and uh, that evening, I was, I'm sorry, and, and, you know, we're having cookies, and we're doing things, I'm like, it's fine. Whatever, well, Merry Christmas, and I'll go to bed. You know, that next morning I get up, I come in, I'm like, whatever, you know, and I open up a present, and there's a set of car keys. My parents love me. I got a new car. I shouldn't have, but I got it. Five years later, that car is falling apart. Repairs have to be done. It'd been wrecked. It was suitable to get me back and forth. And what I learned through that experience is two things. One, my attitude makes a difference. I had totally ruined Christmas for everybody. And two, that piece of machinery is functional. It's not my reason for joy. And I want us to understand something. Whether it's a person or it's an object for you, that is not, that is not your place to find joy it's Jesus each and every time and so as you go through this Christmas I want to challenge you refocus hate evil and turn to Jesus y'all with me on that you have to not, I can't force you God's not going to force you it's on you so if you're here this morning, you're with us online, I want to encourage you. If you don't know Christ this morning, text in the phrase, I need Jesus, to the number on the screen. Check the box on your Connect card saying you need Jesus, or maybe you need to be baptized, but take the steps necessary in order to follow Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and God, we really want to be real with you, Lord. We're a bunch of messed up folks, and you've come to judge, but thank God you reign. Thank God you are faithful to us when we're not faithful to you. And so, Jesus, I'm praying, I'm begging, and I'm, I'm asking that you would move in each one of our lives to help us hate that evil, refocus on joy, and really find ourselves in that position to where we know you grow in you and want to lo love you more. So, God, change us th in these moments. Speak to us if it's just one person. Father, this Christmas, there's a lot of songs in this room, a lot of songs of people sit online with us. And I just pray, Father, that our song would be changed and you would be the the tune, the melody, and the heart be behind that song. 
We love you, Christ. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen.